Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in Matthew chapter 6, the first few verses. We're in the exact same section we were in last week where Jesus moves from chapter 5 to really begin speaking about motives of the heart. And in this case, he highlights three aspects of a righteous life, giving, prayer, and fasting. This morning, we're going to look specifically at what he says about giving. Then we're going to spend several weeks, starting next Sunday, on the Lord's Prayer, which is what follows. And then we'll look to what he says about fasting, but not until November, actually right before Thanksgiving. That's great timing. All right, Matthew 6, this is the Lord's Sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. I'll begin in verse 1 of Matthew 6 and read through verse 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret." And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning, in the time we have, I would like to answer one question. And the question is, how do we kill? How do we mortify the desire in all of us to be praised by man. We all have it. And if you don't think you have it, you're wrong. You do. We all do. And it comes at us in so many ways with so many layers. How do we kill this desire? How do we, to use that old word, mortify this part of our flesh? The good news is we can in Christ, in the power of his spirit, We actually can receive compliments, which aren't wrong, and not feel pride in a way that elevates self. But there's only one way to do it. I'll get there in a moment. We're going to focus specifically on the illustration Jesus uses of giving. But this is not a sermon about tithing. We had a long series back in February of this year on giving. And if you've never learned much about giving, I think it would be worth listening to. This is about motivations of the heart, and Jesus uses giving and prayer and fasting as an illustration, and it certainly is applicable to so many other areas as well. So the first thing I want to say is that for a believer, for a person who knows the Lord, giving is a given. This isn't debatable. As those who know Christ, the call in our life to see those in need and respond with love and charity and benevolence is a given. In this passage, if you look at verse 2, Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy, and the word here is alms. It's not just a tithe he's talking about. It's seeing a need and then making that need met, and the need specifically is of the poor. So Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy. So giving is a given. And that's all I'm going to say about that this morning. Because the focus of Jesus is not on how much, it's on the heart of the person who is giving. 
And simply put, in these few verses, Jesus shows us there is a wrong way to give to those who are in need, and there is a right way. And what's underneath all of that is a desire that we, like the Pharisees, the hypocrites that he mentions here, desire to be praised by man. So what's the wrong way? Let's just look at the text. Look with me again at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. This was their motivation. We spent time here last week. Their deep heart's desire was to be praised by man. Well, every time we see sin in our own lives, in the life of a loved one, or in the word, people who are sinning, we always need to be looking at what's the sin underneath the sin. It's easy to say the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders got it wrong by wanting to be praised by men, but why did they want to be praised by man? We're going to get there in a minute. But Jesus clearly states this is the wrong way to give to those who are in need. He says again in verse 2, when you give to the needy, giving is a given, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. So what's the wrong way of giving? It's making an announcement. When they desired to give, they desired something more than the desire to meet that need. What was really taking place is that an announcement was given by actors craving the applause of men. An announcement was given by actors craving, hungering for, thirsting for the applause of men. Why do I use the word actors? Jesus says in verse 2, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. A hypocrite was an actor. It was a person, a male, who would then put on a mask or some other you know, veil to, to, to deteriorate how they looked really. So they moved into a place on the stage of pretending to be someone they were not. Well, the same thing was happening with the religious leaders. They were putting on the impression that their heart's desire was to give the appearance that they treasured God. They treasured the righteous things. Actually, the word alms is connected to the word righteous. They treasured the things of God, but they didn't. What they treasured was the praise of man. And so when the praise of man is greater in your life than the, the delight of God, the, the desire to bring God praise, you're a hypocrite. The hypocrisy that existed here was done by those who wanted so much the announcement to, to be made that they were generous, that they were giving. So Jesus says, don't blow the trumpets. Don't make an announcement. Don't let others know what you're doing so that you may be praised by them. Those who do that are hypocrites. They're actors. They give the appearance of godliness, but their heart is far from me. He would say that later. So what's the right way to do it? Jesus moves from verse 2. He says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Last week, I spoke about this. So maybe listen to that because I'm not going to spend much time there today. But then he says, but when you give to the needy, again, giving is assumed. Believers are generous people. Giving is a given. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who's in season secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is clearly using hyperbole here. It is impossible for us to not know what my left hand is doing in my right hand. It's impossible. So what's his point? The point that Jesus is making is this. The hypocrites long to make an announcement an announcement with trumpets blasting that others might see their acts of righteousness and bring them praise. They were making much of self, making much of me. That's the wrong way. Jesus gives us the right way. He uses this hyperbole to essentially say, don't do what the hypocrites did. Don't make an announcement to others that you're giving. The right way to do it is to not even make an announcement to yourself. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your right hand to know what your left hand is doing. Don't announce it even to yourself. Well, that's not possible. This is where we have to understand what Jesus is getting at. We are so tempted to seek applause, even if it's our own applause. So what Christ is saying is, Be free in me to give what you're called to give. But don't seek the applause of others or the applause of yourself. You see, some of you in here, you've been giving a long time. And it's never been an issue for you to not have your name in print. In fact, you don't want that. In fact, you'd be shocked that other people do. So does that mean you're free from this? Of course not. What it means is that you would be tempted to say, I'm glad I'm not like those who want their name in print, who want their name on a building, or at least on a brick. The layers go deep. Because our enemy wants all of us never to make much of God, but to make much of self. It's not wrong to receive a compliment. It's not wrong to come up to someone after you see something they've done that brings God glory and say, I am as encouraged by what you did. The Apostle Paul commends people throughout his letters. But what is wrong is to live for that applause. It's wrong to crave that applause. And the image of don't let your right hand and left hand know what they're doing is really helpful. Because for all of us, when we receive something like an affirmation, there's a part of us that wants to be like, no, no, no. No, no, don't do that. But the other hand is saying, give me more. Give me more. Or patting ourselves on the back. It's deep, deep, deep in us. So much so that many think it's impossible. All the various ways I mentioned last Sunday and how we seek to praise, to be praised by others is overwhelming. The responses I received from you last week really were so encouraging but they all kind of had the same almost defeated position. Like, ugh, will I ever get over this? 
Will the battle ever end? Well, the battle will never end until Christ returns. I mean, you, you'll be tempted to think about yourself near the very end, like what you want people to say at your memorial service or what you want put on your tombstone, whatever it is. But victory really is ours in Christ. There is a way this side of heaven in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to wage war on this, to actually be in a place where we can not make much of self. But there's only one way. I mean, this isn't hyperbole. There's only one way. There's no other way. The only way to not make much of self, the only way to not announce things that you're doing spiritually in order to be seen and praised and applauded by others is this way, and that is to make much of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, always. The only way to die, to mortify the flesh that wants to make much of me, make much of self, is to make much of God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You hear that, and you're like, well, of course. Of course. And maybe you're afraid to say, but it doesn't work. It does work. The issue isn't whether it works or not, or whether you're experiencing it working or not. It's that when we fail to make much of God, which is all the time, it's making much of self, which rises in and fills that space. But what's the sin underneath it? If we know it's wrong to blow the trumpet, or if we know it's wrong to even blow a quiet trumpet in our closet, where maybe we're not announcing what we're doing, but we're announcing it to self, feeling pretty good about self, how do we do this? How do we make much of God? I want you to think, turn in your, go and turn in a Bible, grab the blue one in front of you, and just for a few minutes, I want to go to John 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. It's a well-known Bible story. It's about a woman who's going to meet Jesus. What I want you to picture for a minute as I'm going to lay the scene is that Jesus is fully man. What we said about him with our voices together from Colossians 1 earlier in the service is all true. He's also fully man. It means he's hungry and he's thirsty. In his thirst, he finds himself placed by a well. It's a well that has historical significance. And his disciples have left him. They've gone into town. They're going to get food. When a woman, by herself, because of the, you know, basically her reputation, by herself she comes to get water. Jesus asks her for a drink. And then this amazing discussion takes place. I want to pick it up in verse 13. John 4, 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of the physical water in the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So she responds in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now it changes. When Jesus, who's fully man, needs physical water, says something to her that she has no idea how he knows. Well, he knows because he's God. 
He's omniscient. There's nothing he can learn about her or about us. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. I wonder how long it was before the woman spoke. We don't know. It might have been instantly. It might have been a little while. But she says to him, verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship with the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Don't, don't lose this. The Father is seeking for her to become one who is going to worship him in spirit and truth. This providential collision between the living God, Christ Jesus, and this woman who's had five husbands and she's with another man who's not her husband is about to bring salvation and redemption. Verse 24, God in spirit and those who worship him and must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let that sink in. I who speak to you, who just said you are right in claiming you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. I who speak to you am he. Now here's what I don't want you to miss. When you're tempted to make much of yourself in prayer or in fasting or in giving, the very one who's in you the very one you're seeking to serve is the same man who was speaking to this woman. How do we stop making much of self? By making much of him. The living God says to this woman, I who speak to you am he. And he's the same God that speaks to you through his word and spirit. The disciples return. Verse 28, it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to his people, and I think it's significant she left her water jar. Why? It's heavy. There's something more important to get back to the people than the water I came for. The one who's talking about living water, water that if I drink from, I'll never thirst again. I need people to know. So the woman left the water jar, went away, and came to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and they were coming to him. The disciples have a conversation with Jesus then, but I want to move forward to verse 39. Here's what happened. This collision between this woman and Jesus, the father seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth, takes place. And now it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. And the same man that stayed with them for two days, the same man that continued to teach them the word, that he is the living water, is the same one we give to the poor for in his name. It's the same one we pray to, even when we're tempted to have other people think we pray deep and eloquent prayers. It's the same, same, same God. Now, what I'm about to tell you next is not in the Bible. This is not what happened. But imagine, as days and weeks went on, and people came to this place in Samaria, and people said, this is the woman that met Jesus at the well. Who, he told her everything she ever did. Imagine over time that woman begin to say, well, yes, it's true. He did all those things, but, but don't forget about me. I was the one who actually came to the well because I was thirsty. And I was getting water. For, don't forget about me. Yes, what he did was great, but don't forget about me. I have a testimony. It's pretty sensuous. It's one of those testimonies that really sizzles. I wasn't just somebody that kind of grew up in the church. I have had five husbands. And the man I was with when I met him wasn't even my husband. So don't forget about me. It's not in the Bible because I don't think that's what happened. But when we are tempted to blow a trumpet or to toot our own horn in the quietness of our prayer closet, applauding ourselves or being applauded by others, that's how ridiculous it is. When we want to make much of ourselves, to be praised by others, it is ridiculous. And I do it all the time. I do it from the 9.30 service when it ends to the 11 o'clock service when it begins. The reason I have to confess with you at 11 what I just confessed at 9.30 is because there's been enough minutes in between for the same thing to be confessed again. And by the way, this is one of the most powerful public confession of sins we've ever had. And I don't know who wrote it. It wasn't me. But I'll confess it again later today and tomorrow. And some of you might say, then where's the victory? The victory is in the fact that when I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit, the living God, I know that the only way out of this race is to make much of him. It is not to bend my will towards self and say, stop doing those things. It's actually to have my eyes fixed on something that is so much greater, so much more beautiful, who paid all that was necessary for me to have salvation. So that when I want somebody to know that I'm giving a large tip, or I'm showing up with money to give a group of hairstylists who lost money in COVID and we're going to care for them as a church and I'm tempted to say next time I come in I hope they know it was me 
I think about the one who said, I gave my son. And he never sinned. And he took all of your sin. And all of his children's sin. And he died. And suddenly that little voice, and it really is little, that's saying, praise me. I'm great. Or praise me because I'm not that great. Is silenced. Because something far more glorious, far more beautiful, far more sacrificial, something that's eternal, causes that to dissipate. It really is the great Christian hymn lived out. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you're about to give, and you're tempted to say, look at me, turn your eyes up on Jesus. When you're about to give a quote that makes you sound smarter than most Christians, and for some reason that makes you feel more godly, or if you despise people like that, so you don't quote anybody, and you make makes you feel more humble, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And look full in his wonderful face. And here's what happens. Then the things of earth, including the praise of man. You're a great mom. You're a great dad. You're so generous. And the things of earth, including the praise of man. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's the only way. There's no other way. The only way to kill, to mortify the part of us that says, make much of me, is to make much of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now let me end with this. Ten times in Matthew 6, 1 to 18, including twice in the verses we looked at today, Jesus says something that wasn't said very often. Not said very often in the Old Testament, but said 10 times in these 18 verses that deal with giving, prayer, and fasting. 10 times he says, your father in heaven. What was the sin underneath the sin that led these religious leaders to want the praise of man. They didn't see God as father. They saw God as a slave master, a militant tyrant who demanded perfection. And so they lived a life of deep insecurity that was then motivated by other people giving evidence that they're living a righteous life. That's what motivated them. Ten times, Jesus is going to present to his audience the Father, Abba. Ten times, he's going to make much 
of his daddy. Ten times he's going to urge the listeners to see God for who he is. So how do we die to that self? How do we mortify that flesh? Make much of what the word of God says about your heavenly father, about his son, Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And as you do that, that voice that says, blow the horn, make the announcement, let people know what you did, or let people know what you didn't do, because that's a little horn. Make much of the Father. Make much of the Son. Make much of the Holy Spirit. And when you do, watch the desire for man's praise to dissipate. Make much of God. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that I'm in a church that wants to hear the word proclaimed. I'm so grateful that I can stand in this pulpit and admit how hard the battle is. But to also celebrate that it's in the battle where you so graciously show us that your mercy's more. You can actually help us to laugh at ourselves, to take ourselves less seriously to see the foolishness of how we could never be satisfied by enough praise of man. And we don't need it. We have you, the living water. Make us secure in you and satisfied in you. God, please have mercy. Become much, much greater in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.